You know, as a pastor, people ask me a, a lot of questions, which is good. At Abiding Shepherd, we, we want you to ask a lot of questions because we want to get into God's word. We want to wrestle with it together. We, we want to go through those things. Sometimes, though, people throw a question at me, just like, it's like a head-scratcher one, and I'm not, here's, here's my, my confession. It's a head-scratcher one, but I don't typically think about it very hard. And it's that question, like, can God make a rock that is so big you can't lift it? And, and usually I'm just like, eh, I don't know. And then next, because it's one of those things, like, while the, the premise of, like, is there something God can't do is a good question, the context for that, like, does it really affect my life or your life very much? It, it doesn't really. So typically I kind of go to, to next. But if you ever ask that for me, I will try to give you a good, thoughtful answer. I, I, I will. Um, but there's that core concept, though, is there something that God can't do is an important question to ask. Maybe not so much in the context of, well, can God make a rock he can't move? But are there things in life where, that God can't do? I mean, especially when you look around the world, and the world is just a mess, right? And there's just so many. And in our world, and I don't know if there's been a year in my lifetime where it's been more evident that the world is really messed up than 2020. Just all this stuff going on, right? And you look around, and, and, and this time... When you're looking around and you see all this and you're, and you're maybe wondering, you know, okay, it doesn't look like God's in control. It doesn't look like God is doing anything good in the world right now. What's going on right now? That's the time to stop and ask, well, what can't God do? In this world right now with everything going on, what can't God do? Or not so much in the world out there. What about in our own lives when we look in the mirror and we're reminded that our lives often are a mess? We don't live up to what we want to be or, or carry out what we want to do. You know, then, well, what can't God, what can't God do? Or if it feels like, like there's not hope, if it feels like there's no way these, you know, you, you hear the Bible, you hear these inspirational Bible verses that, that say, you know, you can do this and you can do that and there's all these things, but it seems like there's no way that can actually be true. If there doesn't feel like any hope there or it doesn't feel like that's real, that's a time to stop and ask this question. What can't God do? And that's what we're going to do with this lesson today from Jeremiah chapter 32. It says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Now, this lesson comes from the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is this prophet who spoke to the Old Testament nation of Israel. Before we dig into the lesson, it, it's really good to remind ourselves just how significant the Old Testament nation of Israel is. And you might go, well, Pastor, I know. Like the Old Testament, they're Israel. But man, Sometimes when we stop and realize what a privilege we have or an opportunity we had and then see how things went, it sinks in all the more just what a, what a big event, turn of events that was. And so just, let's just stop for a minute and remind ourselves just who Israel is. Remember, when God looked at the whole world and saw the mess that this world is and saw all the issues, the, 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 the suffering, the sadness in this world, God decided to do something about it, and his plan to do something about it was that he chose a man named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to turn you into a nation. Abraham's just a single guy. Well, he was married, uh, but he's just this, this, this single family, and God says, I'm going to create a whole nation out of you. So the, Israel, the nation of Israel isn't just a nation that God just picked out that was already in existence, and he said, I'm going to choose that nation to do this. He said, I'm going to make a nation for a specific purpose, to bring blessing to the whole world. The whole reason the Old Testament nation of Israel even existed was specifically for the purpose of God taking on everything that makes this world broken and bringing blessing to the whole world. That's why they exist. I mean, talk about a, 
a calling and a vocation, right? To be these people set apart for God. And even the initial descendant of Abraham, you could see that this is God's hand. Abraham was this elderly man who has a baby. It didn't look like they should have a baby, he and his wife, but amazingly, they have this child. And that's what begins this nation of Israel. And as you go through their history, you can see clear evidence over and over again that God is with them, that they are his people set apart for a specific purpose. They went down into this land, Egypt, but down there they grew and they grew and they grew. Something terrible happened in that they became slaves. But as they were slaves, God heard the cry of his people and he brought them out in this incredible way. I mean, he parted an entire sea so that there was dry ground for his people to walk through. These are the people of the Red Sea walkers. I mean, you think about, like, maybe, I don't know if you're proud of, like, your various heritages or, you know, like, my dad, I think, could, could watch Norwegian shows all day. Like, he's just so proud of being Norwegian, you know? I mean, it's just one of those things, like, like my wife's dad is Greek. He's proud of, he calls it motherland. Like, he's proud of being, you know, there's just, maybe you're proud of your heritage. The people of Israel in Jeremiah's day, their ancestors are the Red Sea walkers. They're the pillar of cloud and fire followers. This is who they are. Set aside for this, this incredible purpose. And they are also the people who had this king, David, who God made a promise, I'm going to make your descendants. A descendant of yours is going to be the king who takes on evil in this world and sets everything right. What a calling. What a people. Which then makes the whole context for our setting, for our lesson, all the more tragic. Because not long after David died, so you have David, then you have his son Solomon, who's king. But then after Solomon dies, actually this, this nation of Israel divides. And there, there were 12 tribes that made it up. Ten of them broke off, stopped giving allegiance to David's line, the line of the promise, and made their own kingdom called the Northern Kingdom of Israel. So right there, like... What a tragic thing that was. The majority of the nation actually turned away from the king's line that the promised savior was going to come through. But not only did they turn away from that line, they turned to false gods. Terrible things, terrible practices. And God sent prophets to them and said, turn back, turn back. And if you don't turn back, there's going to be justice. Because God is a God of justice, and, and, and we know that. We know when something wrong happens, there's supposed to be justice for it. God is a God of justice. And so he said, if you don't turn back, there's going to be justice. Eventually, this neighboring nation called the Assyrians come in and basically wipe them out. Not by just necessarily killing all of them, but they had this whole strategy that they would take a nation that they conquered and then disperse them to other lands so that they would lose their national identity and basically disappear. And that's what they did to the northern kingdom of Israel. And so all you have left is this southern kingdom of Judah, this little, this little light of hope, right? That the Savior's going to come through this line, that God's going to bring blessing to the world through this little group. I mean, there's still a n- quite a number of them, but nothing compared to what they were supposed to be. And it was this group that also turned away from God again and again, which is why God sent all these prophets. If you look in the Old Testament, you have all this list of prophets, this whole long, this prophet, 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 with these really fun names to try to say. Why are they there? Because God kept sending people like, come back, turn back. Remember what you're, what you're here for. Remember what I called you for. Remember, I want to be your God. You're supposed to be my people. Remember, come on, come on, come on. And if you don't, there's going to be justice. 
but they kept turning away from God to the point that God said, okay, there's going to be justice for you too. And the person in our lesson today, Jeremiah, the man who this, this lesson is named after, Jeremiah, comes kind of at the later part of this whole long line of prophets called to speak to God's people. Jeremiah, God said uh, to Jeremiah, he said, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. How about that for a job description? Right? I mean, wow. Jeremiah, this is your job to go and do this. Jeremiah comes at the, at the tail end of this whole long set of prophets because Jeremiah is actually to the point where he starts his ministry by calling people to repent or else there's going to be justice. But then it transitions because then he sees a neighboring nation, the, the, the Babylonians, coming towards them. He sees the attack and he actually experiences the first part of what we call the Babylonian captivity where the Babylonians come in, conquer the city, conquer the city of Jerusalem, and they take people off in exile. Jeremiah is, he lives through this. And our lesson takes place as he is seeing the Babylonians come and attack the city. And as they are besieging the city of God. Talk about a setting where things looked awful and things looked impossible. Seeing this neighboring nation come, knowing what is about to happen, knowing that for years and years, God had been calling his people to turn back, to come back. You're my people. And again and again, they refused. And so now you're to this point, if you're Jeremiah, you're living a time where it's like, okay, it seems like it's come to the end. God's people just will not listen is it even possible for God to do through these people what he said he would do? Bless the whole world. It's here in this tragic scene that we ask the question, what can't God do? I, I, I love pointing out that this is a tragic scene uh, because there's something really incredible that God has Jeremiah do in the middle of this tragic scene and it can be incredibly helpful for us if we find ourselves in a tragic scene. In the verses that lead up to our sermon lesson today, God had Jeremiah do something that seemed strange. God had, he spoke to Jeremiah and he said, Jeremiah, this is what I want you to do. I want you to buy some land. Like, what? Like if I'm Jeremiah, so Jeremiah actually, he's, 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 he's in, in prison basically right now because the king doesn't want to listen to him, what he has to say. And God comes to him and says, I want you to buy land, Jeremiah. And then you know what happens? One of his family members comes to him and says, Jeremiah, I want to sell you some land. Okay. And he does it. He buys land. Like what a strange thing to do. Why would God have him do that? I mean, doesn't it look strange? Which... There's a good point to just remind ourselves too. Sometimes, actually often, when you really live out what God says for you to do and says about your life, it will often look very strange when you live out God's way. But God says what he does to Jeremiah, just like he always does to us. Just like he always does to us, he says what he does for a very specific reason. Yes, this city is going to be handed over. Yes, you're calling me to buy land right now, and this seems odd, God, but there is a reason. God was making a statement that even though it looked like hope was lost, even though it looked like things were coming to an end, they weren't done. Things were not over 
for God's people. And he was making a statement that at some point, people would be buying land there again. People would settle there again. And the promise was not done. It wasn't defeated. God had Jeremiah buy land at that point when it looked like all hope was lost to make a statement that at some point people were going to do that again. Yeah, there are going to be some consequences. There are some big ones. But the promise would not fail. It might have looked impossible, but you know what? What can't God do? When it looks impossible, God makes the impossible possible. Which again, I, I, I love really leaning into the fact that this is such a tragic scene because you know, again, we can look at our world and sometimes it is just, it is just a mess. Things can be just turned upside down and just there's so much craziness going on. And I don't know about you, but the part that's the worst for me is not only when I look at the world being a mess out there, but when I realize how much I contribute to the mess. You know, like the people of Israel, like they brought this on themselves, right? Sometimes we experience issues in this world and it has, we, we didn't do anything really to, to, to make, bring it about. Other times, we know exactly what we did. Or sometimes it's like a combination, like where, yeah, something happened to us, but then we didn't handle it very well, you know. And then either way, when we, when we realize our own part in the mess, it can be all the worse and all the more hopeless because it's like, man, I just keep messing up. And I just keep doing things my own way instead of God's way. When that happens, when it feels impossible, like we're never going to be able to live out what God would have us live out, where it doesn't seem like God can bring anything good from this, where it doesn't seem like God is in charge, when it seems impossible, that's when we ask, what can God do? See, unless it, it says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Now, the word mankind is actually, it's too small of a translation. It literally means all flesh is what it says. Mankind in and of itself is a big statement that he's God of all mankind. I mean, to think, what are there now? Seven some billion people in the world, right? That God is the God of every person in this world, whether they live here in Wisconsin or in Australia or South Africa or Russia or whatever, and he knows everything about every person, everywhere. He cares about them, loves them, and is guiding them, working in their lives, every single person in the world. That in and of itself is mind-boggling. But it's too small. It's talk, here it says flesh. It's talking about every living creature. God doesn't just, he's not just a God of all people. He's a God of every living thing. So whether it's a person, whether it's a dog or a cat, or whether it's a bird, or whether it's those stinking mosquitoes that flew into my house last night when I went outside to grab what I left in the backyard, whatever it is, he knows every single one of them. And they're only here because he created everything. He's in charge of everything. He knows every detail about him. He knows what they're up to. He is using every part of it according to his plan and his purpose. It all fits. Now, if he is the God of all creation, of every single living thing, is anything too hard for me? Or it's a bit different, I guess, in the original language than that translation reads. 
in the original language, it's, it's hard to bring into our, our English language. It's why I think they went this way. But the word hard, that's translated hard, it literally means to be distinguished or set aside, set apart, which is why they get kind of the idea of hard, like, okay, it's over there and I can't be there. But think about it in this context. God is a God over everything. He is the creator of everything. He is in charge of everything. So is anything distinguished from him? Is anything set apart from him? If he's a God over everything, if he's in charge of everything, if everything is here because of his design and his plan and his purpose, and if he has a purpose for all of it, is any situation, is anything going on distinguished from God? The reality is not a chance. Nothing is set apart from him. Nothing is distinguished from him. It might look completely impossible, but what can't God do? He's God. He's in charge of everything. And so nothing's impossible for him. Well, sort of nothing. See, God, God is so able to do everything that there are some things he can't do, which is a really strange thing to say. It doesn't really make sense. But just look at some of these verses. Okay, so we've got like Matthew 19, 26 where it says, with man, this is impossible. God, it says, God, all things are possible. But then you have a couple of verses that sound almost contradicting that. Where it says in Hebrews 6, 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable truths, unchangeable things in which it is impossible. So this is something that is impossible for God to do. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 13, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Doesn't that look like a contradiction? But whenever something seems like a contradiction in God's word, what needs to be changed is not his word, but our minds. What that means is that our minds need to be expanded a bit and to realize that we are encountering the God who is bigger than our understanding. So let's take him out of our box and take a look at what's going on here. In both of these verses that it talks about God not doing something, they both have to do with kind of like the concept of lying or not coming through on who you are, what you say. The one talks about how it's impossible for God to lie. And then the other one in 2 Timothy, he cannot disown himself. So in other words, God is so able to do anything that the one thing he can't do is fail to do what he said he would do. God is so able to do anything that the one thing he can't do is fail to be who he is. The one thing God can't do is lie. The one thing God can't do is fail, I guess. He's so able to do anything that the one thing he can't do is fail to do what he said he would do and be who he is. That's why, even though the city was being handed over, the city was being destroyed by the Babylonians, that's why God said, buy some land. It looks hopeless. But you know, the one thing I can't do is fail. So you know it's not over. It looks impossible. But I made a promise to a man named Abraham that I was going to turn him into a nation. I did that. And I made a promise that I was going to bring blessing to the whole world through his descendants. And I'm going to do that. And I made a promise that there's going to be a king who comes from the line of Jesus. And it is, I'm so able to do anything that the one thing I can't do is fail to come through on that promise. And so it might look impossible, Jeremiah, 
but buy the land. Because I promised that there would be a Savior who would come through these people, and you can bank on that promise. It's going to happen. You better believe it's going to happen because it's going to happen. The one thing God can't do is fail to do what he said he would do. Which then bring that back to us. To those times when the world seems like it's falling apart, where it feels like, like things are just, just a mess and you can't, see, you can't see what God is doing. We can't see how God is going to use it. We can't see, you know, is it, it, just, it just seems like I fail again and again. What would God speak to us there? Well, the reality is God's word to you and his promises to you, they never depend on you. The reason why you can bank on those promises is because God is so able to do anything that the one thing he can't fail to do is fail to do what he said he would do. You can bank on the promises of God because they are the promises of God. And what has God promised you? What has God done for you? Well, let's take a look at this. Jesus made a promise, or God made a promise he would send a Savior. And over the course of thousands of years, at the right time, that Savior came. And Jesus told his disciples he would die on a cross, and he died on that cross. And Jesus told his followers that he would rise again, and you know what he did? He rose again. And what did he do when he did those things? What did he say to us? What did he promise us? That anything you and I have ever done wrong, any failure of ours, however we've turned away from God, all the pain that comes as a result of it, he absorbed it. All the justice met. All the pain and sadness that comes with it, taken care of, absorbed, defeated. So that what looked like the end would only be a new beginning. And he rose to give new life. Rose so that you and I could have a new life with him, freely forgiven, right with him now, but with the hope of being with him forever someday. He came through on the promise and he made promises to us now. He lived out promises to us now that we are forgiven, we are right with him. So now he has boldly made incredible promises to us where he would want to have us live like Jeremiah did. In a land where things can be a mess sometimes, God would have us buy land. Not, not literally, don't go out and buy a, buy, a, you know, maybe you do, I don't know. Like maybe there's something God wants you to do, buy. But God's word is full of incredible statements, incredible promises he would have us bank on and live by right now. And to, to wrap up this message this morning, what I'd like to have you do is I want to do something a little bit interactive here actually, um, is uh, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. I want you to, to talk to the people you're sitting with and think about and talk about for a couple of minutes, what are some things, what are some promises that God would have you take to the bank? What are some things God would have you? Let me give you an example. God's word says that you are never alone. And so I can live like I'm never alone. And then you can think about like, what are some of the things that go with it? I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be fearful. I don't have to, you know, what are some things in God's word? I'm going to give you a couple minutes to talk with the people around you about what those things are. The things, the ways God would have you buy land, live boldly, even when it seems like, seems like things might be falling apart. So go ahead. I'll give you a couple minutes. All right. Now I'm curious, what did you come up with? Any idea, any, anything, anything that you'd like to share? What are some things? Yeah. I am with you always. Just, He's with us. 
Yeah, that he's always with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Well, I think of these scary times, how scary it is for little kids, like our you know, grandkids and stuff, but to tell them, just go on in life, keep your you know, nose to the grindstone and your eyes on God, so I think mean, you're talking like with kids and like scary times and nose to the grindstone and your eyes on God. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah. His word will never return to us. So his wo- word won't return to us void. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah. For the sake of the Abba, I promise the end times are short. If we are in the end times, people look at it that way. Sure. Yeah, so that God will cut things short for our sake. That if there's, yeah, if things get, He won't let things get too intense. Absolutely. When 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 you think about those promises, so those are the things, those are the ways that you can live. You can take those promises to the bank, and you can buy land. (laughs) And what I mean by that is you can you can live like when when people look at your life. That's how when things are, you know, man, look at everything going on. How do you have peace right now? When everything going on, how can you selflessly love right now? With where you've been, how are you, like, where do you have, where do you get your worth and your confidence from? That's where, when you take promises of God and live them out in times where it seems almost foolish, that's when we buy land. And that's what we get to do. Because, I mean, it might look impossible, but what can't God do?